It's not a bomb. It's not going to go off on me. <laughs> well, that juice is here. <laughs> a big spot. All right, praise the Lord. King James Version. Ryan. King James. <laughs> Mama's Bible, King James Version. All right, praise the Lord. Christmas. Don't you love? I love Christmas. I always love Christmas. I love Christmas. Yeah. Before I was saved, I loved Christmas. Though I didn't know much about it. So I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get this thought across. But, uh, the sign I said this in the car. We're kind of joking, but the sign of Christmas. The sign of Christmas. Yeah. So what's the sign of Christmas? What would you say the sign of Christmas is? Yeah. I mean, we don't believe in signs. We kind of, we kind of do, but you know. But the sign the sign of Christmas is you. That's that's the one. That's that's really the end of my that's the end of my message. So I'm just telling you before I start, in case you try to, what is he talking about? So it sets us, right? You are the sign of Christmas. We are the sign. The believer is the sign of Christmas. So, so um, I don't know which verse I want to start first, but uh, we're going to read from Luke chapter 2, the birth of Christ. And give me a second here. Get my paper ready here. So Luke, yes, Luke chapter 2 is uh, Christ's birth and it mentions the sign there. So we're just kind of going to read some verses here and then, then we're going to jump to Isaiah which is where that uh, prophecy came from in Isaiah Isaiah 7 so anyway uh, in Luke 2 okay so I'll read a couple verses and we'll uh, go from there so Luke 2 verse 1 and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus uh, that all the world should be taxed Really, that's a, supposed to be as a census, means census there. That all the words should be taxed was a census. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone unto his own city. Um, so I just want to just give, a little, just give a little background, I guess. So this is the time period of Augustus Caesar, right? He's the first emperor, uh, and I just, want, I just want to bring him up only to give like a little history of when Christ came, right, during this time period. So Augustus Caesar is the first emperor, even though Rome has been around for a while, prior to him was Julius Caesar, who was a, uh, it was his uncle actually, Julius Caesar was Augustus's uncle. He was adopted by Julius Caesar, but prior to the Caesars, the emperors, they were Pretty much generals, dictators like Julius, but Augustus was the first. He was the first uh, uh, emperor of Rome, and he really established it. And under him, he reigned like about forty years, I think is, is the date. And he pretty much doubled the empire size of it. He doubled it, and 
in that next maybe 70 years, um, it was kind of like the zenith of Rome. They were like at their greatest time in their history, really, in that, in that time period. And, and also after him a little bit, but not actually, then they started declining. But So I'm just saying that to say that uh, his name was Octavius, as it's just going by history here. That was his original name. And he was given the name Augustus by the Roman Senate. The Senate gave him that name. Caesar was from his uncle. And then, but, but he, he did such an amazing work. He did, he did do a, a great work in Rome, building it, that every emperor after that was also called Caesar from him. That's how they established that particular name. But, so anyway, he was, he was uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, the reason I'm bringing them up just to bring in some prophecy that in God's plan, God's providence in the whole thing, which kind of relates to what I'm trying to say about sign, us being the sign. And it really relates to the word of God. God God's word has a fulfillment, right? And that's really what signs were. They were a fulfillment of what God had said, you know? And that's why you are the we are a sign. You are the sign. The believer is the sign now through Christ. So, uh, anyway, in his reign, um, much happened, but it was a time, and again, this, I want, so I just want to step back here about, so Rome. So, Rome is where it's at because God orchestrated it, right? Rome is one of the four empires that Daniel spoke about, right? Daniel and Daniel 2 and 7, I think. Daniel speaks of this particular empire, right? Daniel's maybe 580, 600 years prior to this happening. Daniel was speaking of the empires that will rule the world, right? Uh, the world empires. This one being the fourth one, right? So, Dan so this is prophecy. This is the fourth empire and uh, the Roman Empire. The other three had already, have already happened. The uh, Greek, and then the Persian, Mede Persian, and then uh, the Babylonian, Nebuchadnezzar, right? <clears throat> so, and I think one simple thought about that, uh, because this empire also will happen again, right? It will be revised, mm -hmm. you know, again. So, and Christ will come to both. He's, he's, come to, he's come to Rome, this empire, now, this time, but he will return with us, right, when it's revised, right? In the end days, and I think what's neat uh, a neat thought about uh, the empire that, that Daniel spoke about. He relates these empires to beasts. Okay, so first one is a lion, right, uh, which would be Nebuchadnezzar, and then it's a uh, second one is a bear, which is the Medes. So he relates them to animals. The third one is a leopard, the Greeks, but he doesn't give an animal for. Uh, the Roman Empire. There's no animal that it's like, but it's diverse, he says. It's more very aggressive. You know, it's, it has, it's, uh, how to say, it's like teeth like iron. Yeah, teeth like iron. So it's a, it's a monstrous, it's, it's a monstrous uh, empire <clears throat> that's coming. And so why is it, you know, I don't, you know, we don't know why is an animal not related, but Maybe because it will be the Antichrist will be that one who who reigns and there's nothing like him, you know, who uh, 
who we believe Satan will, you know, possess him <clears throat> in Revelation. So anyway, at this time period, during uh, uh, Augustus, this empire, which is already prophesied, Christ is coming. It's God's plan that he come during this time period, this empire. <clears throat> and, but he comes as a, not just a man, but a baby, right? A child. I mean, this is like an intense time in history, right? How men lived and ruled in uh, a world power. And God's answer is a child, right? God's answer is a child in this thing. So let's just read. Okay, now I'm going to go to the next one. I'm just going to go here a little bit, and then we're going to hit the main thought about in the verse 12. But I'm going to just hit a couple of things there. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, verse 4, <clears throat> out of the city of Nazareth on the Judea, uh, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, um, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And it was so that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. So verse four, a couple things. So Joseph, just make, just make a couple thoughts. So Joseph, and Mary, who are poor, they're in Nazareth. And of course, if it wasn't for Augustus' decree, Christ would have been born in Nazareth, right? They would have been born in Nazareth, unless Augustus would have made this decree up. <clears throat> so this prophet, this actually verse four is a prophecy from Micah, who actually lived also during the same time as Isaiah. It was a contemporary uh, minor prophet, Micah, Micah 5, 2, prophesies that he will be born in Bethlehem. So this prophecy is coming to pass through this emperor. But I'm just making a point about the emperor I and mean, about who's really in charge. I mean, this is like one of the greatest leaders in history of the Roman Empire, and possibly the greatest Caesar, even. You know, some seem to think he was. The first one, the greatest one, because of what he did. But who's really in charge of history? Who's really fulfilling? This is the... The simple point I'm trying to make, who's fulfilling what he said? God is. God is fulfilling what he said, right? And that's the sign. That's the sign that I, I can bring it out. I keep saying that, but that is the sign, the visual sign, if you will. It's God fulfilling what he said. So Micah says that in 5.2, that Bethlehem will be it. And so God orchestrates it. And he uses, I mean, you know, this guy is pretty much this man does what he wants, Augustus. He's, and by the way, the whole world. It's not just the city of Rome. It's the, he, make, he makes a statement, this is the way it's going to be for the world. And, it and nobody challenges Rome. It's not being challenged. But it was God orchestrating it. God orchestrating it. I mean, we're in days today that we think are crazy, right? Totally nuts. We're in things people are talking and acting and we wonder like what will happen in two more years five you know, whatever but who's i mean in this time period what, what were they thinking but god is in charge god is fulfilling god will do it he will bring it to pass what he has said right so i just want to bring that that thought up so and by the way so they're in nazareth and it's about 70 miles to bethlehem it's not like around the corner they've got to go quite a ways to travel, you know, 
by donkey, you know, with a pregnant woman, right, Mary. So they're traveling quite a way to make this, to make this trip. <clears throat> but it happens, right? God, God makes it happen. I mean, I'm just, do you think you're traveling with a pregnant wife in a car or in a donkey? Are we going to make it? Is she going to make it? I mean, and not only that, is it going to be fulfilled in Bethlehem? Like there's, I mean, maybe they weren't, they weren't thinking those thoughts. Did they know that, you know, about Bethlehem? I'm sure they did not, doesn't But God knew and God was going to make it happen. God made it happen, right, for them to go there. Okay, so I just, I just wanted to bring that thought. And then we're going to, I just want to go next down to, we're just going to jump a couple verses and then kind of hit the main thought here on about the sign that I want to go to Isaiah on. Give me one second here. <clears throat> Goes to the shepherds next, right? The, the angels. I mean, that, I mean, just that. And there, verse eight. We'll just jump to verse eight. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping their watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Amen. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. <clears throat> I mean, God, I mean, you know, you hear this a lot. It is amazing. God's, who's the first, the first ones God goes to to tell them, besides obviously Mary and Joseph, but he goes to a group of shepherds. You know, why, why the shepherds? I don't know. Why does he go to the shepherds? You know? But they're just, I mean, just a couple simple thoughts about the shepherds. Like, they're just, who are they? They're just simple people, right? They're just simple people, you know. And they're at night watching. I mean, why, why are they watching their sheep at night? Well, that's because that's, that's when the other, you know, wolves come out. That's when the enemy comes out at night. So they're, you know, that's, that's the type of people they were. Maybe simple, but they're living in these, this practical wisdom about life, right? They're just prepared that way. They think, they, they're people that think this way. So God comes to them to share with them these, this, the most incredible news in history, right? And one of my personal favorite verses is, uh, the, and the common people heard him gladly, right? I, I just love that. That verse always touches me. Right. And the common people, I mean, think about Christ and what he shared, the, his wisdom. Is there any, how could there be higher wisdom than Christ? It cannot be. Yeah. It's all in him. But the common people heard him gladly. Right. So how can a person of higher education not get saved? Well, of course they get saved. They don't want to get saved. But when it really comes down to it, the common people heard the wisdom of God gladly? Did they have a super higher intelligence? I don't think so, right? They, but they heard God gladly. Right? It's, a, it's a hard attitude, right? <clears throat> but I just, uh, I just love the way God approaches people, you know, throughout the Bible, how he approaches us in our personal life. You know, it's not, it's not some sophistication. It's just a heart-to-heart, -heart, you know, touch where God speaks to our heart. He speaks to us from a person. He speaks to us from circumstances, situations, angels, or in this case, a baby, you know, a design of a baby, right? Um, 
I'm going to excuse me a second. So we're going to go. So now I just want to turn. Okay, so let's talk about this, this sign, this, this promise, which comes from uh, Isaiah 7. Okay, so we're going to go there. I'll read verse 12 one more time. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. So we're, so we're dealing actually with a bunch of prophecies going on just in this chapter. Uh, these are things Daniel talked about. Here he is. This is the fourth beast. The fourth the made the big empire, which will be revised. It's happening. Crisis comes then. Micah prophesies about where Christ is going to be. You know, Augustus, who seems like who's the, you know, by God's ordained plan, makes a decree for that to happen, right? And he thinks he knows what he's doing, but God is instructing him to do it, orchestrating it. Right? So anyway, in Isaiah 7, we'll go we'll go and read that. That verse and just that kind of like the little background on Isaiah 7 when we get there. So Isaiah 7 14 is the verse, but we'll uh, let's go there and then we'll. Okay, wait a second here. I'll get it there. Yeah, it's actually this chapter in this uh, in Isaiah, really an amazing chapter. And what's happening in the story with Isaiah and King Ahaz, the king of Judah. This is when the prophecy comes. And uh, it's just, you know, remarkable about this king, the type of man he was, and when God, through Isaiah, gives this prophecy. Right? So in Isaiah 7, uh, sorry for the delay here, I'm just trying to get my notes working. I'm a little scattered here. Okay. Okay. So, all right, so in chapter 7, I'll read the verse, but then we'll, we're going to give a little uh, context on what's happening here. So in verse 14 is where, this is the Lord speaking to Ahaz, but there's a lot more to this, but I'll just read the verse. Therefore, the Lord himself, that's a, that's a good thought, that's interesting too, how that's explained. The Lord himself shall give you a sign, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us, or God with you. Actually, it's God with humanity who's the actual original. Okay, so this will be a little background about the story. So anyway, so this is in chapter 7. This is King Ahaz, which always, uh, and, uh, Judah and Israel are split up, right? They're divided. Israel's divided now. Israel's to the north, Judah's to the south, right? And so they're, they're, they're divided. And Ahaz is one of the bad kings, basically. He's not a good king. You know. His grandfather was Uzziah. Yeah, Uzziah, who was an amazing king, who uh, Isaiah respected highly, actually. But anyway, so Ahaz is now the king. He's not a good king. He's not a very good king. Um, he worships false idols. He, uh, they, there's a thing, you, might, you see this a lot in the scriptures where some of these guys, he would send his son into the fire. Remember that term, you know, that term they use? People said he, he, the children were sent through the fire. Okay, that, in other words, that means child sacrifice. That's the whole point. So he was, he was actually, he sent his own, he sacrificed his own son. He was in the child sacrifice, so. So that's in Second Kings talks about that with him. Anyway, this guy was completely like one of the kings that was just out to lunch. Okay, and so what's happening is this. So in the story here, what's happening is he's living in total fear because Israel, the north northern kingdom, 
is aligned with Syria and they want to come against him to battle. They want, they're going to come against him in war because he won't align with them to go against Assyria. There's two, there's Assyria and Assyria because Assyria is like kind of like the dominant power then, right? They're not a world power, but they're dominant. And they're afraid of them. So they, so be, but because Judah will not join them, they're going to come against him and destroy him, right? So he's kind of freaking and he's flipping out, so to speak. Isaiah, who's the prophet for Judah, right? The Judea, um, the southern kingdom, comes to him, okay? And so that's in, let's just read that. Let's, I'll read a couple of verses here just to give, so you see it. So verse 7, verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, who's the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, who's the king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, Ephraim being northern kingdom. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. <laughs> so then said the Lord unto Isaiah, this is where it gets interesting, there's Isaiah and two sons, he has two sons, which God gives names for those sons, which are funny names. So he has two sons, and these sons are used as a sign. These sons, are their, their life and their names is a sign to Ahaz and to the children of Israel, Judah. Right. So that's what's going on here. So Isaiah comes to him with one of his sons. He brings his son with him, right? To talk to speak to Ahaz. God told him to do this. So his son's name, verse 3, and the Lord said to Isaiah, Go forth and meet Ahaz, thou and Shirjazub, thy son, <clears throat> at the end of the conduit, in the upper pool, and the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed. And be quiet, but actually the word there is to be still. It's a better translation. It's not be quiet. It's it's like be at rest, be be still. Right? So be at rest, be at still, and fear not. Now, this is the Lord speaking to this king who's not a good king. Okay, he's not a good king at all. But God is so merciful to him, you know, coming to him. And his he he's, he represents like Ahaz represents unbelief. And he also represents religious phoniness. We'll see that in a minute. It's very interesting how his response. So, any, uh, so he says, Take heed and be still and fear not. Neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin of Syria and of the son of Ramallah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramaliah have taken evil counsel against him, saying, let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of them, even the son of Tabeel. So this is their planning, and God is going over this with him and, and, and uh, trying to convince him that he is, he is in control of it. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall, be, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within three score and five years, 65 years, shall Ephraim be broken, that is, will be not a be. And, and that happened exactly in 65 years. 
65 years, Ephraim was totally destroyed. Totally destroyed. <clears throat> and that's later on in the scriptures. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remolos. And here it is. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. So God is giving him counsel, right? He's speaking to him clearly and telling him to just, regardless of unbelief, trust me. Just, just trust me, right? And he got, God will take care of it, right? And so in the next couple of verses up here, we're going to get into this, this sign here. And moreover, the Lord spake unto Ahaz, saying, and I, I love this scene, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth, that means hell actually, shoal. The word there is shoal. Or in the height above, like heaven. He's, so the Lord is saying to him, this is incredible, like, he's, on, he's in unbelief like the Jews in the wilderness. And all the signs that God did, right? So not it's not that signs are wrong, because there's signs throughout the Bible, all over the place, in the Old Testament especially. It's that God uses the signs to show us he is going to fulfill everything he sends to us. That's what he's using the signs for. He did it in the Old Testament. He's using signs and he shows the fulfillment of it, to show it, to show that what he has said will always come to pass. It just will happen. So his first son here, I'm, gonna, I'm kind of jumping around, but it'll come together. His first son here, whose name is Sheer Jazub, that, that means uh, a remnant shall return. That's the meaning of his, his name. A remnant shall return, right? That's the first son he has, and that's his name. So he's telling him with this son, who he has knows that's his name, um, what the Lord is saying to him. And so, ask of thee, and I will, ask of thee, whatever it is, ask of me a sign, whatever, just ask, and I will do it. I mean, this is amazing that God is saying this to him. Just ask anything of what you, in other words, he's, what God is really saying here, ask something to confirm what I just said to you. That's the point. I just said to you, you can be still, what they did will not stand. I'm telling you this, my words, I'm telling God is telling us. I will not stand. So ask of me, what will confirm that? You know, asking me anything to confirm what I just said to you. And this is his response. This is his response. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. In other words, in other words, he's being now he's being religious. Have you ever done I've done it. Have you ever done that? We use religious vocabulary to hide our unbelief. That's what's going on right here, right? He's just using religious words. Yeah, and we can do that easily. We can do it. And that's what Ahaz is doing. Right? He's just using religious words to hide his unbelief. He does not believe that God is going to do it. No, it's not going to happen. I, I need Assyria to help Assyria. By the way, he took money and gold out of the temple to pay Assyria, who they were afraid of, to pay Assyria to protect him and go against Israel and Syria. That's what he's, he, this is what, this is all the other things he's done, some of the other things he's done, Ahaz. So he's stolen money out of the temple, God's temple, gold, to go up to the king of Assyria to protect him against these guys. God, that's why God is coming to him with Isaiah. You're running to Assyria, you know, they, they can destroy you easily, <clears throat> and you're not trusting me, right? 
And so here he is, as God's telling me, ask of me anything. I mean, ask of me anything. God is saying, test me, challenge me. Ask me. I have said this to you. I will do this for you. I will do it. But instead, he gets, you know, he, now he goes from his, you know, his crazy, wicked ways, if you will, over to the, from the bad side of the tree to the good side of the tree. That's how he goes. So now he's in the religious side of his, of his tree, you know. Oh, I will not. Oh my God, I will never tempt God. Will you tempt God? Am I asking that? I cannot do that. And that's, you know, that's what he says. So now, Lord, now the Lord's answer, the Lord's answer to him is, therefore, oh, I'm going to read verse, verse 13. And he said, hear ye now, house of David. Now God, like the answer, he's not just speaking to Ahaz, he's now speaking to the whole house of David. That's the response, not just Ahaz. That's why it's, it says the house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary man, men, but you will, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. It's amazing. So I'm going to give you, he's, now he's obviously so right here, he's kind of jumping from his son to a virgin with child, right? I will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin, he's talking about obviously future, he's talking about Christ, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with humanity. That's the original, God with humanity. God with man. Anyway, I was saying in the car, it actually brings up in the original Hebrew, conceive is, is the word in Hebrew, pregnant. Behold, a pregnant virgin, that's what it really says, shall, will bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat. Now this, this is prophecy does this, if you read in the prophecy. He's, he's going back and forth. He's talking about his son and also Christ both here, present and future, with the next verse. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse evil and choose the good. Let me let's stop there. Let's make a, a comment here. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse evil and to choose the good. Um, just a simple thought is, we don't have to be informed of evil to know about evil, right? That's kind of like the thought. We don't have to be informed of all the bad things to have understanding of what the bad things really are. That's what you, that's really what that means there. But but by knowing the, the word of God and truth and grace, we'll have the discernment and wisdom to know how to go the right way. I don't need to clog my mind up with evil to know, understand what evil is all about. Right? That's, that's kind of like the point. Right? It's a meaning there. <clears throat> For, as you know, I said, and, okay, so let's stop there for a second. Um, so I want to get into this thought on, on this and read one more verse in um, Isaiah 55, which kind of like includes the thought, includes the thought of Christ, which goes back to, to uh, Luke 2. But, uh, okay. So, uh, so well, let me just finish here with the... Uh, I'm going to jump to chapter 8. It continues, but I'm going to jump to chapter 8 because this is his other son. Okay, now, now we're going to go into Isaiah's other son, which is 
which is still following this thought here. Now, he's not speaking to Ahaz now at this point, but we're going to get to his other son, which is going to be, a, which is God's predicting what's going to happen to, the, to his enemies. That's, that's the two sons. In other words, this son here, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't read verse 16, I should have read that. Butter and honey shall he eat. Now, it's talking about his son, talking about Christ, what, what Christ is like, but also it's talking, he's referring back to his son, Shirbazi, Shirbazi, whatever, I got that name spelled right. But, um, now, so, in time, butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. In other words, before your child, Shirbazi, whatever his name is, before he gets to that age, which is talking, which is scholars seem to think is like three or four years, before he knows to discern good and evil, those two kings will be dead. And it happened. Three years later, the king of Assyria, who he's fearing, killed those two, not killed those two kings. They were, they were destroyed. So what God said happened. So I'm making here's one point with the son. So this son, who has that name, whom God prophesied is walking in Judea with that name, right, the name that he has, a remnant shall return, and God's prophecy on him as a reminder, as a reminder to the king and to the people of Judah that God is going to do this. And then when it happened, it was a reminder that, that, that God did it. In other words, this son with that name, what, he, what I said to you about him is going to happen, and it happened. He just used him, he was used as a sign, as, as a fulfillment of what God said. That's all I'm saying. That's his son. But then the second son also, and the second son. And that's in chapter 8. So now he has another son. Okay, that's chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write in it with a man's pen concerning. Now, this is his other son. I can't pronounce these names. Meher Shalabaz, Shalahazbaz. Wow, what a crazy name. <laughs> Just gonna name his son there. But God gives him these names for his sons, right? And that one, that name means, uh, I wrote it down, sorry. Uh, swift Booty, yeah, Swift Booty, which is uh, the, uh, you know, the plunt, the plunt, plundering of the materials that they had. Swift booty. Uh, I'm sorry, let me just get it here before I. So I don't mistake it. Here we go. Yeah, okay. Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. That's the meaning of the, his name. So, which is, again, talking about a quick, it's going to happen quickly and speedily that God is going to destroy these two lands. Here we go, read it. So, swift booty. Speedy is to pray. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest, Zechariah the son of uh, Jebuchiah. And I went unto the prophetess, as is his wife, and she conceived and bare a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Mayor Shalab Hasbaz. For before the child, here it is, here's the prophecy with him. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father, my mother. The riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. Now, this is not their death. He, he's already used his other son, but before he reaches the time of 
discerning good and evil, those two kings will be killed anywhere they were assassinated. Now this one is destroying the land of both those territories. That's what this prophecy is. So before this, his, this son reaches, before he could even say, my father, my, my mother, those lands are going to be completely plundered and destroyed. Instantly, instantly destroyed. And it, that happened. That happened like a few years after this prophecy, later on in the chapter. So God, in other words, I'm just saying these, I'm just using these two, and then I'm going to read one verse here. Let me just read this one verse. This is in 8 verse 18. Okay, so this is him recording, uh, Isaiah is recording this, he's, he's speaking it to the people, and well, I'll start with 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait upon the Lord that hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs, this is Isaiah speaking about his sons. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. Right? So, okay, what's amazing in Hebrews 2, this is, this is Jesus saying this verse. Jesus quotes this verse. That's in Hebrews 2, verse 9. Let me just make sure I got it. So Jesus, the Hebrew writer is saying what Jesus is saying. The Lord's saying, and the Lord says this verse. And that's, uh, we'll read it, uh, let me just read it real briefly here. Uh, Hebrews, I think it's verse 9, pretty sure it is. Hebrews 2. So the Lord is quoting uh, Isaiah here in this chapter. Um, yeah, here it is. Well, verse 13, yeah, verse 13. Well, verse 12 is saying, this is the Lord now, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. This is the Lord speaking, right, in Hebrew. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 12. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I in the children which God has given me. Right? So that's why I said in the beginning, we're the sign. Or we're the sign. But I'll, I'll just finish reading Isaiah 55 um, and then to conclude here this thought. Uh, well, before, okay, before I do that, just two thoughts on, again, the, his children, Isaiah's children. The one whose name is uh, the first one. <laughs> we'll just call him, we'll call him child one, child two. Yes. So the first one, okay, the prophecies here are this. Their names are prophetic, too, and they have a meaning with us. They have a meaning for us. This is the meaning. So the first one is uh, the, uh, a, a remnant shall return. Okay, now, the meaning there is it's future, obviously, but it's near, well, it's near future and distant. The remnant shall return, he's talking about in the Babylonian captivity, right? This is what he's talking, he's referring to that, and he's referring to the very last days. So there's two parts to it. But a, there was a remnant that returned from the Babylonian captivity. They were taken into captivity, all the Jews, that was the, and that was the first empire that Daniel spoke about, the Babylonian one by Nebuchadnezzar. They were taken into captivity, and then so there was so this was a prophecy that the, by Isaiah, hundreds of years prior to that happening, right? And and I in Ezra, the book of Ezra, the names of these families are recorded. 
of this remnant. They're recording the names are all written of these families that return. So God thought it, I mean, I just think it's amazing that God took it upon him to record their names. Their names are recorded. It, I mean, it was free. They didn't have, they weren't forced to go. You didn't have to leave Babylon. You, Cyrus had an edict that you could leave. Anyone could go back to Jerusalem. Anyone could go. So whoever wanted to could. There were some that chose to go back. And it was only about 10%. Only about 10% of all the Jews returned. That was it. But God records their names, you know. What I'm, I'm something, all I'm going to say about that is this: Why did they return? Well, I, I think this is why they returned. I think they knew the scriptures. I think they knew what Isaiah said about his son and what it meant. I think they also knew what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah, because that was Jeremiah said prior to that: In seventy years, you will return. So they, they must have known, they, I believe they knew that too. And so they, in other words, they committed, you know, they trusted in what God had said. And they took God at his word and they went back. Now you didn't, it wasn't like, if you didn't go back, you were back, you know, Jew. But these people just took it a step further with God, trusted him at his word, and they went back. They went back to the, and God records their name. God records their names in Ezra. All the ones that came back. There was like two or three exiles that, you know, that you know, Nehemiah led, helped lead one, Ezra, you know, and during that time frame. But anyway, so that's the prophecy that's, that's to come that he wrote. And then his other one with the uh, uh, swift, uh, the swift, swift booty, booty, swift booty, quick pray, I got that. Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. But that, the point there is an immediate deliverance, right? There's an immediate, and this happened immediately. It happened, so it's an immediate deliverance in our life. That's the point, an application for us. Like God has an immediate deliverance in our life when we take him at his word, right? We take him at his word, and it will happen. And I just, I just compare, I'm just gonna say a simple thought, I just compare <clears throat> that thought about uh, uh, a swift deliverance is like to me Caleb, it relates to Caleb, right? I mean Caleb and Joshua, right? And when, when the, uh, the 10 spies and Caleb's response was, we are more than able, let us go up at once, at once, like no hesitation. We're not gonna wait and think this through. Let's go at once. In other words, he took God at his word at once. Because God had said, this is the land, this is the territory. But by sight, it didn't look like it. By sight, we should reason this. By sight, we should act like Ahaz, because we're all that way, like Ahaz. We all have unbelief because of the physical, because of the sight. Let's face it, God's word is, in one sense, is invisible, right? We don't, I mean, we see it, but we don't see it. I mean, we don't see him. He's telling us something, right? And that's the challenge. That's the faith challenge. By faith, we understand, right? We were talking about that a little bit, kind of like that thought. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, the ages, right? So we, we, know, no, we believe, therefore we know. That's the point. Because we believe, we know, right? So because what God says, then we have spiritual insight to make decisions, right? Because we believe, right? That's God's thought on it. 
So, okay, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna finish up on Isaiah 55, and I'm just gonna conclude with that. Still, still on Isaiah, just a, lot, a few verses in Isaiah. So Isaiah 55. Um, okay, so. Yeah, Isaiah 55, verse. I'll just start with verse. Uh, verse 8, just start with verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and I, I like this thought here about, you know, relating, relating God's word to this. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I, that which I please, that it shall prosper in the thing there and I send it. And then this is, and then this is our life. This is, this is what the word brings forth. Like the rain brings forth food from the ground, God's word brings forth verse 12, right? For you shall go out with peace and be led, I'm sorry, you shall go forth with joy, go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you in singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. So that's, God's word has, has an end result. It accomplishes that, right? So in, in us, we will go out with joy, we will led forth with peace. That's what the word is, is fulfilling in us. And that's what it's, and that's basically what it says in Luke 2 when Christ came. So I'll finish with the last, read that verse again, verse, in chapter 2, rather, in Luke. And uh, that's the conclusion here. So what I mean by that is this, so just about the going forth in joy and being led forth with peace. And starting in verse 10, chapter, back on Luke 2, verse 10. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace, goodwill toward men. So that day, wait, that day peace came to the earth. Right? This is this is a peace when two sides the meaning of peace in the Bible is generally always when two sides reconcile, two enemies reconcile. That's the meaning of peace in the Bible. Right? Our peace is because you and I have peace every day because we're reconciled with God. God has peace with us, and we have peace every day. People that are not saved, no matter how good they feel, even peaceful, they don't have peace with God. They don't have peace with God. Yeah. God has made peace with them, but they don't have peace with God. You and I have peace with God every day. And that's, so this, that day, this day, God has come to the earth 
in the middle of this empire, the fourth beast, the most wildest beast, which will be revised again. Christ comes as a child, and God comes with peace, right? He comes with peace. So peace came, our peace comes from heaven. That's my point. Our peace isn't from ourselves, the natural. It comes from heaven, right? And that's, that's the sign, if I can say it that way. The fruit of the Spirit in us daily, the joy that we have, though, I mean, it's not necessarily, it's not that we may be laughing every day, of course, but we do have a joy because of what we have, because of Christ. Because we're born again. Because we're born again, we have a joy. We have life. <clears throat> and God is with us, and we have that peace. So we have, we have peace, we have joy, we have righteousness, right? The kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness. All that are all that they're all from heaven, all three are from heaven. The kingdom is all three. We, we have what's, what was from heaven now with us righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit, right? That's our life. That's our life, and that's the sign. I mean, I mean, that's why I'm bringing up this thing about sign, right? That's our sign. You know, we're not, it's not that we're seeking a sign, we are the sign. Right? It's us. Christ is in us. This was what this was the greatest event on earth. Right, the greatest event on earth when Christ came, and in that sign is was was heaven was great it was God coming with His peace, with His joy, with His glad tidings, a message, a message of glad tidings. Right, um, I think that was all I wanted to say, except for a second, that's it. I wanted to say something on Revelation three, but I don't want to. I don't want to. I think it'll just kind of like not show me that. But it's a good thought from Revelation three. But I don't want to. I don't want to throw that in. It was just. Uh, it had to do with. It had the. I thought from Revelation three, which which related to this, is had to do with God's will. But um, in in. Uh, but that's okay. It's fine. Yeah, um, it was. A, it had to do with Caleb. I'll just say it briefly. It had to do with Caleb. Yeah, hey, you love because we love. Ahaz had another spirit, right? The spirit of unbelief, a religious spirit, which we all can get. We all can. We all can fall into those things, right? We all can. It's easy to do, but it's just Caleb would, would just take took God at his. So here's the point: is how did Caleb get like that? That's my question. So how, how did Caleb? Get that kind of spirit. He's the only two, him and Joshua, out of everybody. It's and Moses too. But why is it that some people seem to grab hold of it like these men? I I probably would not have been those guys. Maybe I shouldn't confess that. I don't know. How did they act the way they did with their you know their faith at that time? But it's not them. But we but we also know it's not about it's not them, right? It's not us. It's not the flesh. It's not what we can produce. Like I have faith. He doesn't have faith. Or God has to do it in us, right? But it, this is the simple thought. And this comes from Revelation 3. It's really a good thought. The church in Philadelphia. And radical faith, if we want to, we'll say it that way, radical faith is like a Caleb, okay? And radical faith is what happened in Luke 2 at the birth of Christ, right? There's a radical miracle and there's radical faith. And God loves radical faith. That's what I'm trying to say. God was saying to Ahaz, you've got to be a little radical in your life. Like you're way over here. I mean, think about it. God humbles himself to come to this guy. Look, you just gotta, you know, you just gotta be radical and trust me here. 
And I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you sign. I'm asking you to ask me a sign, a confirmation on what I just got done telling you. Right? I'm gonna give it to you. But anyway, but in Revelation, this is my point, simple point. And I'm finished. Um, radical faith is when my will and God's will meet together. It's that simple. When God's will and my will meet together, that's that's radical. If I could say it that way, that's radical faith, right? I have set before you an open door and no man can shut it, right? And he closes doors that no man can open, right? So this is a simple thought on that. I'll, I'll, if the door back, if the door is locked, if the door is locked, right? that door is locked, the biggest person here, Marvin, is not going to make it through, is not going to be able to get through the door. More than likely it's locked. He can't, a big person can't get through, it's locked. But if it's closed, if it's closed, it's unlocked, a little girl could get through the door. It's not, it's not a problem, right? I'm just saying that th this is where my, my will and God's will meet. God unlocks the door, but I have to walk through it. But I walk through it. So that's why he says you only need have a little strength. In Revelation, you only have a little strength. He says that to the, the church of Philadelphia. You only have a little strength. But I have set before you an open door. Yeah. That no man can shut. No man can shut. And I think Caleb was this type of a person. He did. It wasn't that we think of Caleb as this like amazing, strong guy. I don't think he really was. Yeah. Samson, I don't know. My personal thought about Samson, he was like a little skinny guy. So that's why they wondered. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but I think this is I, this is my own point. So that's why they wondered how could he have this physical strength? How could it happen? It's a, you know, he doesn't look like. He doesn't look like some Superman, right? So it was God. It was faith, right? It was God's faith. So. All right, Lord, we'll just thank you for this time. We commit the rest of our evening to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.